He is mighty to save. No matter who you are, what you've done, where you've been, where you're doing right now, he is mighty to save. If you have your copy of God's Word, I would love for you to turn to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to be looking at the last verses of that chapter, 17 through 21. 17 through 21. My hope is built on blank. Can you fill in the blank? If you know the song, you probably can. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. But really, truly, what is your hope built on? We're going to talk about that this morning. Let me read this passage to you. Paul writing to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting with verse 17. This is the word of the Lord. Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of what is truly life. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding irreverent and empty speech and contradictions and what is falsely called from what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some people have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. Or as we say down south, y'all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. This final emphasis Paul gives us, gives to Timothy and, and to us. May we take it this morning and apply it in our own heart. May we find truth in it to encourage us and to live by. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So where do people get hope today? Where do people get hope from? What do they use to sustain or supply hope? I mean, every effort in life usually is meant to fill us with some sort of form of hope, form of hope. But I'm going to tell you, hope exists in two forms, basically. When you want to define hope, you have to define it two ways for people. It's either wishful expectations. I hope this happens. I hope my team wins. I hope this investment works out. The other is an assured guarantee, an assured guarantee. And so the question for us is, like, which one do you have? Believers must live with a hope that's assured by Jesus. And that's what Paul's kind of encouraging them through these, uh, these verses this morning. Paul concludes this first letter to Timothy with one last emphasis on some very hot topics, which are still very hot topics today. They're still very much emphasized and needed to be talked about. Wealth and truth. Those, those kind of sum up a lot of things that's wrong and right in our society. But these are also two sources of hope. That's what, what Paul's getting at. So Paul appeals to the church there in Ephesus to hope in heaven, to hope in heaven and to guard the truth relentlessly. And so living out our faith in this world means we hold our wealth loosely and the truth tightly. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So where should we find our hope in light of eternity? Well, obviously Jesus. Jesus. Not, not just 
these other things that we're talking about. So Paul is pointing to two principles right here to, to solidify our hope in Jesus. To make sure we can sing that song, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus. So first of all, he tells them, invest your wealth in heaven. Verses 17 through 19, I'm going to read them again for you. Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God. On God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of what is truly life. So when you use the word rich, and to tell you the truth, rich, wealth, and all that in this passage, it's the same exact Greek word. It's the same word. They just keep, we just keep putting synonyms in there in the English translations. But rich, when you talk about rich, it always points to some sort of standard, some sort of gauge. You know, who is rich? How do you define a rich person? What makes them rich? Is it they have enough? I have enough, and I don't think I'm rich. I really am, though. Do they have no job, which is kind of what they believe this meant in, uh, in, the, in the first century in Ephesus, that if you didn't have to work for a living, you were wealthy enough to support yourself, you were rich. That's a pretty high standard. Um, they believe that's kind of what he was talking about. But do you have no fear of poverty? Maybe that's a, that's a good standard to go by. I don't know. Everything has to be talked about in, in relation to what, what rich really means. In Madagascar... This is a 2,000 RERE. That's their, that's their currency, 2,000. That sounds like a lot of money, doesn't it? That sounds like a lot of money. It's not even 50 cents. The exchange rate this morning, the exchange rate in, in Madagascar is 4,500 RERE for $1. So if you make $10,000 a year, you are a 45 millionaire in RERE over there. So rich has got a standard. We, we need to understand we're pretty wealthy. We're probably pretty good. You know, I know the prices are high. I know the inflation's happening. I got that. But standard of the richness. And so what's Paul talking about? He tells Timothy to instruct the rich, the rich Christians in the church on how to use their wealth, their resources, their possessions, and their money. Instruct them, Timothy. One version of, of English translation uses the word command them, charge them. And Paul is talking to believers here. He's not, he's not trying to convince the world's rich people to use their wealth for heaven, although that would be great. But he's talking to believers, those who have placed their faith in Christ alone in the church. So as Paul's kind of ending this letter, he returns to this topic. He's previously talked about it further up in, in chapter 6, and he's talked about possessions and using our money, right? But Jesus also, he spoke a lot on this topic, and I'll get to him in a minute, but we don't need to, he says, don't let the rich Christians become arrogant. Don't let them become conceited. Don't let them hope only in their wealth. Paul talked about this earlier in, in, in Romans chapter 12. If you want to you know, write it down or turn to it. Romans chapter 12, verse 3, he says, For the, by, by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. In the same chapter, verse 16, he says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. 
Boy, sometimes we just get carried away with ourselves and we think we must have done something right to get the windfall we have, the wealth we have, the prosperity we have. But Paul says, be humble and be gracious in Romans. So he's telling Timothy, don't let them put their hope in their net worth. Don't let them hope in that. Don't let it become their God. That idol that's green and got George Washington's face on it. It's very, very uncertain. I mean, if you've lived to any time, you know money can come and go real quick. Got a little extra in the checking account, car breaks down. Got a little extra in the savings account, air conditioner breaks down in the middle of 100 degree heat. So Proverbs 23.5, Psalm 62.10, that's just two verses that tells us how uncertain wealth is, how quick it flows through our hands. But, Paul says, here's where you need to put your hope, to put their hope in God who gave them all that they have anyway, right? To gave them all that they now possess in this life. God is the one who gives wealth. He even gives it to the unbelievers. But Paul's talking to the believers. How are you going to use this wealth that you've been given? Whether you got it through an inheritance, whether you earned it and you invented some wonderful tool back then like the wheel, you know, who knows? But also remember this, God gives you the wealth to enjoy, but we need to enjoy it. Paul says, enjoy it, but we need to enjoy it God's way. God's way. Well, how does God want us to enjoy it? Well, I'm glad you asked. I got an answer. Paul's got an answer. He says, instruct them to do what is good. Do what is good with your resources. Use these resources to accomplish good. Be rich. You can say be plentiful in acts of good deeds that edify and help people. Most people know Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is the, kind of the salvation verses. For by grace are you saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. Verse 10 is very important as a believer. It says, for we, the believers, are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he prepared in advance for us to do. So you've got to get busy and do good things. For we are his workmanship. We are meant to do good things. And he's telling the rich, use your wealth for the kingdom of God. How? Be generous. Be generous. Open-handed, liberal in giving, abundant, copious, magnanimous, if you want a bigger word, magnanimous with possessions and relationships and everything you can you have be generous with it paul is not telling them to adopt a vow of poverty that's not what paul's saying he's not telling anybody to become destitute just give freely as one can with what you have make good use of it he says be willing to share that's a lesson we learned in kindergarten right you got probably before that. I mean, you can go back to the nursery right now and watch kids fighting over not sharing. We need to learn that lesson. As adults, we need to apply that lesson. Sharing. Be willing to share. Open up your wallet. Open up your home. Give when needs arise. In that same chapter in Romans, chapter 12, verse 13, he says, share. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. So there's plenty of ways we can be sharing. You got a house, you may need to open it up to somebody that needs a house. I encourage you to be careful with that, but sharing must, can, it can include hospitality. Let someone, 
Live in your home for a short period of time. Let someone share your meals. Let someone share your clothing even. I know that's stretching you a little bit, stretching me. But sharing doesn't have a limit to it. It doesn't have any, he doesn't quantify sharing. See, ultimately, and this is the point, ultimately the purpose of any wealth in our life now, the purpose of any wealth in our life now is to store up treasures up there, to invest it in the bank that never defaults, that doesn't need the FDIC. It lasts forever. That's ultimately the purpose, and that's what Jesus is calling us to. Jesus made this very clear, that life here is always to be lived and shared with the view of the life to come. We are passing through, folks, and it's really short. Seven years, they say, is 70 years is just like the breath of your hand, the psalmist writes. Their investment in heavenly deeds creates a solid footing in heaven for their, for their lives. Jesus talked several times about this. I'm not going to read these passages, but Matthew 6, 19 through 21, the ultimate point of that passage, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Is your, your treasure at the First National Bank or is it in heaven? Matthew 7, 24 through 27, build your house on a solid foundation, on things that Jesus has taught. Luke 6, 48 through 49 says the same thing, building your house on a solid foundation. And the only solid, really solid foundation is Jesus Christ. People are finding out all over the world right now that even though they thought their house was built on a solid foundation, it only takes one flood to ruin that foundation. Only one disaster. So you'll see, this is how Jesus expects us to use our wealth. Storing up provisions for when their spiritual bodies arrive in heaven. That's what he's telling them. When you get there, you'll have treasures for use. I don't think we're just going to be sitting up there twiddling our thumbs. I think we're going to be busy doing stuff in honor and glory of the Lord. And so when they surrender control and their self-use of their riches, they're investing in a heavenly home. The heavenly home that they claim because they have faith in Jesus Christ. And this will secure in their hearts eternal life. He says truly life. They will hang on to what is truly life. Well, the only true life there is is eternal life. True living in this earthly realm, it starts when, when the heart gives up our temporary treasures for our eternal treasures. That's when real living begins. Real living begins that way. And Paul points to this principle right here. Use all you have for God's glory and heaven will be better. I know it's hard to imagine improving heaven, but your experience in heaven will be better if you do this, if you lay up treasures in heaven. The best illustration is Jesus' parable in Luke chapter 12, and I'm going to encourage you to turn there. We're going to read that. Luke chapter 12, verses 14 through 21. Very familiar parable. All of us have read it, heard it, but, it, man, it speaks to what Paul's teaching right here. As a matter of fact, I think Paul's teaching this parable to, to Timothy. Luke chapter 12, verses 14 through 21. Listen to what Jesus said. Verses 14 through 21. To set this up, a guy comes and asks him to be judged between him and his brother over an inheritance. And Jesus says, friend, he said to him, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? And he then told him, watch out and be on your guard against all greed, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Then he told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? Ah, I will do this, he said. 
I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Ouch. Ouch. I know there's a lot of us that are trying to be rich toward God, but sometimes we, we put things ahead of God. I'll tell you this little story I heard one time. This little girl... You know, she was just entering that stage of wanting to wear jewelry and all. She was three, four, five years old, maybe. She's wearing jewelry and dresses, and she was playing dress-up and always wanting to be dressed exquisitely in her play dress-up stuff. Well, one day her dad gave her a, a set of play pearls, pretend pearls, you know, probably made from epoxy or something, but they were precious to her because dad gave them to her and she could put them with her dresses and she just looked fabulous, loved looking at herself in the mirror and, you know, prancing around with them on. And she wore those pearls for years, for years. Till about 11 or 12 years old, her dad said, hey, can I, can I take, have those pearls back, those pretend pearls? Can I have those pearls back? He just asked for the necklace outright, no, no reason why. Can I have those pearls? The little girl said, no, 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 dad. You can't take my pearls. You can't take my pearls. Can't. I love these pearls. A few months ago by, the dad come back to her. Can I have the pearls? She said, no, daddy, no. I don't want to give up the pearls. A few months go by. He comes back. This time he says, you know that I love you, right? Yes, daddy, I know you. I, and you trust me, right? Right. Well, if you know I love you and you know and you trust me, give me your pearls. Give me your pearls. She started crying. Dads don't like making their daughters cry, but she said, why, Daddy? He said, you just got to trust me. You just got to trust me. She finally reaches up, undoes them, and hands them to her daddy. And he opens his other hand, and there's a real set of pearls there because she'd reached the age where she could take care of jewelry that was worth something. That's what we have to do with our riches. We have to remember that there's a God who loves us. He's our Father. And He's never taking something from us to leave us in a lurch, to leave us without. Give up this life's treasures for the next. So I know some of you are probably sitting there thinking, How is the pastor going to apply this? Is he going to ask me for all his money, all my money? No, I am not. Because that is between you and God. Your money, your time is between you and and God. But God gives us this principle that Paul's teaching right here in our lives to apply to anything. It doesn't have to be money. It doesn't have to be possessions or whatever. Anything is covered by this principle. Don't, here it is, don't put earthly stuff in front of him. Don't worship earthly stuff instead of God. All right? Keep your priorities straight. Don't assume your wealth, your money, your talents are yours to use your way. Because I've discovered that if you don't use them God's way, they can quickly disappear. They get real uncertain. 
God's the giver, remember? God's the giver. Consult God. Consult God about this. Put your hope in God's way of utilizing the gifts he's given you. Hope in that. That's real hope. Just like the father with the pearls, he's not going to leave you stranded. Be wealthy in the good stuff. That's what Paul tells them. I heard a phrase one time, someone said, wealth flows through us, not from us. Because it comes from God, right? So what you have, God gave you, and he meant for you to share in any way you can. We're using it for his glory, which is our ultimate purpose. And when we hear commands like be good, be generous, share, share your possessions, our human nature, our sinful nature, begins to negotiate. Begins to, begins to negotiate. I, I've done it, and that's why I'm laughing. It's like, oh, it's so fr- frustrating. How much is generous, God? How much is generous? How much is, how much is I'm supposed to give? We're always looking for some sort of dollar amount necessarily, but we're, we're negotiating. How, how, what's generous? How much is, how much is generous? Whom should I share with? To whom should I share? What if they misuse it, God? What if I give them something and they use it inappropriately? And why? Why do I need to give? I I already give some. Why do I need to give more? We start negotiating. But you know what? These types of questions, these types of questions reveal in our own heart the root problem we have. Me. Me. Me over everything else. We're selfish. <laughs> if, that, if that's news to you, I'm sorry, but that's the truth. We are. We're very self-focused. But Jesus asked a question in all the Gospels, I believe. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world, to gain a house on the beach but lose his soul. It doesn't profit him. So we need to stop negotiating with God, okay? We need to prayerfully consider how he wants us to to use them, but he wants us to put treasures in heaven. Jesus makes it very clear. Paul's now making it clear. When you put the treasures up there, your heart will follow. Your heart will be focused on eternal things. So you got to decide now. You can't wait till you've got the money to decide how you're going to use it. you got to decide now. When I get some, I'm going to try and decide to share. We need to make up our mind to be more open-handed to the less fortunate. We need to prioritize what we do with our riches, whether we give them to missions and ministries. But we need to use it the way God leads us to use it. So stick to your Bible, stick to prayer, let God guide you. You know, investing for the future and our our retirement and whatever you want to call it when we invest in the future, that takes commitment. Because it, it means you can't use that money right now. You've got to put it in something that you're not going to get to use for, for you, you young people 40 years, 50 years maybe. It takes commitment. Well, you know what? So does this. Investing in heaven takes commitment. Investing your wealth in heaven takes commitment. No one, and I, I guarantee you, no one, a true believer in Jesus Christ has ever regretted giving more to God. Ever. I've never met anybody that's a true believer in Jesus Christ ever regretted giving more to God. So think about it. God will bless you. And you will begin to live by faith in his provision. It's good for your faith. Put your wealth in heaven. So that's that's Paul's first principle. 
to keep us on track. Use your wealth appropriately. But his second is more eternally focused. Guard the truth that saves. Verses 20 through 21. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding irreverent and empty speech and contradictions from what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some people have departed from the faith. Grace be to you all. So let's stop a minute and talk about Timothy for a second. His name actually means honor God. The, 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 the two Greek words that come together to make that means honor God. Timothy has served with Paul. Let me, listen to where he has served with Paul. Saul, Paul picked him up on his second missionary trip in, in Lystra. And Timothy served in Iconium, Troas, Neapolis, Philippi, Sumatras, Amphipolis, Apollonia, Thessalonica, Berea, Corinth, Chintria, Ephesus, Miletus, Rome, and in prison. Timothy was with Paul a lot. Timothy is one of Paul's companions, has been for years. Some scholars estimate 15 plus years that they've been together. He was an envoy to many churches. There's many of Paul's letters you can see. I'm sending Timothy to you. I sent Timothy to you. When Timothy comes to you, he used Timothy as his, as his go-to guy to send to a church that was struggling. He was his confidant in prison many times. Timothy himself was even in prison. Hebrews talks about Timothy getting out of prison. Paul gives Timothy the most important action of the ministry, though. The thing that he's watched Paul do in all these towns and in all the prisons he's been in, he's watched Paul do this. Guard the truth of Jesus Christ. Guard the truth of Jesus Christ. And that truth is sprinkled throughout this letter as well as your entire Bible. And the truth is this, summed up. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That was Jesus' mission, his only mission. He came into the world to ransom himself for sinners, which we all are. We were and we are. And God gave him this truth to guard. Guard it, not just holding it like this, but proclaiming it. That's the way you guard the truth of Jesus Christ. You proclaim it. You let it be heard often, sometimes loudly, like I'm right now. Guarded by not allowing godless, profane, useless, empty talk to distract from it or detract from it. Fight those things. Protect it from contrary and controversial arguments because they come from deceptive ideas is what Paul tells him. It's all coming from something that someone calls knowledge, but it's not knowledge. Proclaim it confidently so that no falsely labeled knowledge can discredit it. See, God's truth... God's truth cannot be undone by lies, okay? We know that. God's truth stands one way or the other. It can't be undone by lies, by falsehoods, by fake religion, by pseudo-faith. It can't. It's still God's truth. It stands, period. But as churches, churches must guard it for the sake of the souls who have not yet heard it. That's why we're sending Jeremy and Sarah to Mexico. There are people down there that have not heard the gospel. Or if they've heard a gospel, they've heard the wrong gospel. So getting the truth out, giving lost souls the opportunity to hear, believe, and trust Jesus, that is job number one for a church. Okay? 
This will help us quit focusing on our riches and ourselves, okay? If we remember that job one as a church is to get the truth out. And then Paul gives him a little motivation as to why he's got to guard the truth here. Guard the truth, Timothy, because some have been led away by the false knowledge. Some have been led away. Some have professed it. You know what that word means? It means they've committed their life to it. They've professed that false knowledge as something they're going to do no matter what. That's what that word means. It means I am hanging on to it. I I have made a promise. I have made a vow to do this. They intend to hold fast to the idea and carry it out to the fullest, whatever this false knowledge could be. And, and Paul gives many examples of it, myths, genealogies, speculations, false doctrines. There's lots of it in, in 1 Timothy. So we kind of know what the false knowledge is. And they promise to pledge it. They take, a, they take an oath. They take a vow to keep after it, this fa- false knowledge. And by this, this is the, here's the motivation for Timothy, who loves his church and loves the lost. Here's the motivation. Some have accepted this, professed this, and wandered away. One version says wandered away. Another version says departed. Another person says strayed away. They've gone astray. They've either walked away from the faith completely, they never had Jesus Christ, or they have strayed off the trail, off the, off the path. But either condition is bad. Do we understand that? Do we understand that? It doesn't matter if someone's wandered away and they, they've left the church and they've decided not to believe anymore, and they say they don't believe, you know, and maybe they come back someday. But, but wandering away is never a good thing, Period. And Paul wants neither of these things to happen under Timothy's leadership and ministry at the church of Jesus Christ in Ephesus. And the only way anyone can be saved, Paul finishes up the the letter with, is by grace. Saved by God is by grace from God, and Paul ends with that very fact. Grace to you all. Your version may say to you, but the you is actually a plural you, Because in English, we use the same word for the multiple U's and one U. So I like saying grace to y'all. Grace to y'all. More than one. Grace to all believers. It saves their souls. It grants freedom to live out this glorious life in Christ. And grace is necessary. It's necessary not just for salvation, but for any church. Any church to carry on the mission of the gospel and guarding the truth. Paul makes it very clear. Matter of fact, in, in Colossians, Paul talks to them, and he says this to them in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6-8. He says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. I mean, this warning you can find in just about every letter Paul writes, some form of this. People were being distracted from the truth by false knowledge. False knowledge, false ideas is bondage. It always is. So I want us to see that that the fight of good faith that Paul is encouraging Timothy to do, we're called to this. That's what he's talking about. And so there's all kinds of weird, weird ideas out there. 
I saw a sign yesterday on a, on a social media site. This girl's holding up this sign at some rally. I don't know where she is. Stop killing ducks to make duct tape. She, she first needs to learn how to spell duck, not duck, right? It's, it, that's just one. I could, I could go on because they're out there. It's some really weird things that people have their minds wrapped around and they swear it's truth. Some poor girl, and I think there's more than one, thinks we're killing ducks, quack, quack, to make duct tape for our air conditioning vents. That's what they think. Anyway, it's a, it's a pretty extreme point, but it's real. But you know what? We see it every day. We do. We see, we see it on the news. We see it in our social media feeds. We must not stop sitting around wishing that the truth would be known. Stop sitting around wishing that people would start believing the truth of God. We need to stop that. You and I both sit there and we lament every day about the false and rotten ideas that people are saying are true. Now, we may not be able to talk to that person we heard on the TV or on our social media feed. We may not even be able to get a conversation going. But we need to be speaking the truth everywhere we are because God's put you there to speak the truth. We lament about it. And you know what? We might even be guilty of kind of encouraging it at times. We allowed evolution to infiltrate our schools. We sat by while sexual dysphoria has crept in and confused people and children. We've been silent while people say God is dead Jesus did not exist, and all people are good. We sit by and let that, that, that happen. In our workplace, in our schools, in our coffee shops, wherever, we, we let that kind of idea kind of feed people's minds. See, God wants us to speak the truth he gave us, okay? And he gave us a lot of truth that counters all of the things that the world is hanging on to that they think is right, He doesn't want us slandering the liars. He doesn't want us to attack the person. He wants us to attack the stuff that's falsely called knowledge. So he calls us to proclaim what he's told us. So read your Bible and speak what it says. It says things like this. God is one. Jesus rose from the dead. And heaven is your only alternative to hell. Sex is for married men and to women. God created all we see by his hand. And his hand alone. And Jesus will come again. You can't earn, work, deserve, or trick God to allow you into heaven. Nothing you do will make you right with God. Jesus is the only way, period. Boy, they get upset about that. Whew. But it's true. When we speak it in love, and when we continue to love them even after they reject it, it'll make a difference. See, God doesn't care what you think about him. He doesn't. He doesn't care whether you think, oh, I don't believe in Jesus because I, I think that's a silly idea. I, I don't believe God is love because he sends people to hell. He doesn't really care that you think that. What he cares about is that you believe his one and only son. That's all he cares about. That's all he cares about. You can sit around all day and whine to God about how you don't like the way the Bible's written. You don't like what it says. But we need to guard the truth by proclaiming it. As believers in Christ, we need to teach it. We need to share it. We need to live it. We need to tell people why we believe it. 
And if you don't know why you believe it, let's have some conversation about that. I'd love to help you understand why you believe what God's word says. Guard the truth. Eternal life comes only by Jesus Christ, so we need to trust him for it. Trust him and him alone for it. Make that your life mission, and you won't worry about your wealth anymore. You won't worry about your priorities. You'll keep your priorities right. Paul gives these two principles to live by. So use your resources right and speak the truth often. And these can govern, these can govern the rest of your life as a believer. As I close this out, I want to read a passage to you that Paul talks about where our foundation is and how we should use it. It's Paul's full description of, of how our hope is assured. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 through 15. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. The end of time he talks about here. Because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. We need to use the right building materials. Gold, silver, precious stones, things that last forever. That's why we have to use our resources correctly. So we come to our time of pastoral prayer. I want you to pray over this in your own hearts, to pray about what you're doing with your resources and how well are you guarding the truth we as a church need to be better at it that's why we're here we need to be better at guarding the truth so let's have a time of prayer if you want to come to the front and pray you're welcome to do that we'll have some time of silent prayer and then i'll close this out